I don't know about you, but the, my temptation as everyone comes on is people smile and then they bow. So I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I should bow to everyone, but it becomes a constant. Um, uh, it's like in some of our ceremonies where we have a, a jundo. Some of you are not familiar with that, where you walk around the whole zendo bowing constantly and everyone's bowing as you go. Uh, it's, it's a lovely, lovely feeling. And there's a little something I want to say to each person as the face comes up, but then we would be here the whole time doing that, but it's quite joyful. <clears throat> Let's uh, um, begin our, our sitting. I'll make one technical um, reminder for those of you that might be unfamiliar. We'll sit together like this, so we're all together, because it's so nice to sit in the zendo with everyone. When the bell rings to end our sitting, <clears throat> Maria will probably spotlight my video so that I'll, I'll be leading the chant. You'll see me there leading the chant. Um, and then after the chant, I'll do a little reflection. At any time, if you want to click on gallery view, you can bring everyone back if you prefer just to see everybody. If you want a, my video spotlighted while I'm speaking, you can you can have that too, but you're in charge of that. You can change that however you'd like. Is that that accurate, uh, Maria? Okay, just so you, you know, you have that that option.
vest is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. <clears throat> For those of you who uh, might be relatively new, um, because I see that there are some, uh, some, some newer folks, the chant that we do uh, following our sitting is a version of a classical chant that would be done in a temple or monastery, a Zen temple or monastery, uh, when the students or monks were putting on their robes. Hence the, the words, vast is the robe of liberation. Um, we're not, not doing that, but it's a beautiful way to step into um, the kind, vast uh, container that practice offers us uh, right away. And at the end, we'll chant what we call the four practice principles. And all of these you can find on the Appamata website, appamata.org. Uh, and just look up daily chants and you, you'll find those. Uh, just for those of you who might not know. <clears throat> Pardon me. You know, in um, some of you are familiar with uh, something called uh, Hakomi, which is, um, I think, the best definition towards the end of his life, Ron Kurtz, who developed it, called it assisted self-discovery in mindfulness. Uh, I think Larry Yang has written a book recently called Awakening Together, which is a term that would reflect the kind of teachings that we offer at Alpamata. And it's a very similar kind of thing. Assisted self-discovery in mindfulness, awakening together. And in the loving presence sequence of training in the Hakomi method, there's a practice. Uh, I don't think it's an, an exercise. It's actually an ongoing practice, which is really one of my, my favorites, if, if you want to call it that, because it is always touching to me. And it's simply called being with. And this is in some ways, a practice that we do when we're sitting together in Zoom, uh, which you can do, which is as you're sitting um, with some silence and stillness and uprightness, if you sometimes simply open your eyes for a moment and take in the faces that are there, some might be looking at you, some not, <clears throat> and just notice what it's like, and then let your eyes close for a moment and feel what moves in response to that presence. And some others might be seeing you. And moving in and out like your breath, you're practicing being with, seeing and being seen. And you begin to touch on some things that I'll speak about today in the service of calling forward loving, loving presence. In the last couple of weeks, I've spoken about kindness and care and I want to continue on that theme in a way. It's something that's um, important to me and has kind of got a hold of me, so I, I don't, want to, don't want to leave it. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke primarily about uh, kindness. And I think probably most of you know that when asked, the Dalai Lama said that his religion is kindness. That was his religion. Uh, curiously, he didn't say it was his practice. I would imagine he would consider it in a way, but it's his religion, his orientation, the thing that guides him most deeply. And then there are many, many practices out of the Tibetan tradition which he represents. 
but his religion is kindness. That's what he's dedicated to. And then in the beautiful book I was reading from last time when um, a little uh, mole in the story asked the young boy what he wanted to be when he'd grow up. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the little boy said, kind. He wanted to be kind. So it's a way of being, an orientation. And then last week, I spoke more specifically about care. Uh, the way of meeting each situation, meeting ourselves, meeting each other, without obstruction. And we talked some about the practices which help us step beyond those obstructions. To enact care with an orientation of kindness, but enact care. And our, our essential practice, of course, is, um, you might say, meditation. <clears throat> Although there are any number of practices uh, which we lump under this larger umbrella of meditation, which may assist us in concentration and insight, um, silent illumination, as it's called in Chan. But our fundamental practice in Zen is Zazen, sitting Zen, just sitting, which is the simple and profound act of being present with what is. It's the willingness to face life as it is. Uh, Joko Beck, the great American teacher, would often kind of substitute life as it is, where you might assume in a sentence or in writing she would write Buddha. But the Buddha, the awakened one, is life as it is. This is what we rest in. And so now to kindness and care, today I want to add presence, which is another aspect of apamada, mindful, diligent care. And I'll remind you of that beautiful quotation from uh, Sun Simiao, which I mentioned last time, the sixth um, and seventh century Chinese physician who said people fall ill because they do not know that they're loved and cherished. And in these three aspects of kindness, care, and presence, I would say people fall ill or become distressed for lack of kindness we sometimes move into a place of distress if we don't have proper, adequate care. And we may fall ill either emotionally or spiritually or even physically if we're far away from loving presence, if we're deprived of loving presence. So I'd like to actually read a very short story. Um, so this is story time. Uh, the story is written by a woman named Patty Dig. I believe her name is spelled, uh, pronounced D-I-G-H. She's written many books. This one comes from her book called Life is a Verb. But it's about Marianne Woodman, who's quite a well-known uh, teacher, author, uh, feminist, she's older now, um, uh, Jungian. Um, and so th this is uh, one woman telling the story of another woman, um, which I think is pretty interesting since we're, we're speaking about presence and care. So just, we'll, we'll go through the, the story for a moment and we'll, we'll return to the, uh, these teachings. How do we... I, how do we hold presence for each other is, is why I think this story is important. How do we hold love for others with no agenda? How do we truly see and deeply listen in order to know someone in a bargain, know ourselves more deeply? This is the essence of being with. So Patty writes, during a stay in India, Marion, Marion Woodman, became sick with dysentery and was captive in her hotel room for many weeks. Any of you who've been to India may know about this potential difficulty. Finally desperate to escape her room, she gingerly made her way to the hotel foyer one afternoon to sit and write a letter to her husband. 
Sitting near the end of a long, empty couch, she began to write. Although there were many other seats available, a very large brown woman came and squeezed between Marion and the end of the couch, so close that their arms were touching, so close it was difficult for Marion to continue to write. So Marion scooted away, angry at the invasion of her space, and the woman scooted closer, pushing up against her. Marion said that every time I moved, she moved until we ended up totally at the other end of the couch. Once she stopped moving away, there was nowhere else to go, Marianne realized that what a nice, big, warm arm the woman had. And so they sat, a thin bird of a sickly white woman and a big brown woman, arm to arm. They shared no common language, so they sat in silence. And Marion gave in to the broad, warm arm, the presence of the other, and relaxed into her. The next day, she went again to the foyer to write, escaping her room. And again, the woman came and silently sat next to her. Not just sitting, but touching her. The third day, the fourth day, as Marion's health improved, this couch dance continued for a week. One day a man appeared as the two women were finishing their silent, warm, armed vigil. He said, you're all right now. My wife won't come back tomorrow, he said to Marion, nodding towards the woman. Your wife? She thought to herself, startled, and, and said, Why is she here in the first place? She asked. And Marion was unprepared for his quiet, simple answer. He said, I saw you were dying and sent her to sit with you. I knew the warmth of her body would bring you back to life, he said. It took a moment for the magnitude of his message and the enormity of what these two strangers had done to sink in. She did save my life, Marion said quietly in recounting the story when, when she told it, that this woman would take the time to sit with me, and most importantly, that I could receive it. That is true relatedness. That is what it means to hold presence for others. So I don't know about you, but as I heard the story, and even as I'm reading it right now, it's very touching. It makes my voice catch a little bit. This willingness to be with each other. In this sense and in this story, it was very personal. But this is actually what we're doing when we sit together in Zazen. Unfortunately, right now, we have a good bit of separation because of COVID, and we're meeting on Zoom. But still, we can practice being with. And some of us are beginning to have a few friends or family members we can hug. And uh, maybe one day before too long, maybe later in the year, we'll be able to actually sit in the same room together uh, for practice. But remember, what, what was enacted in this story between these two women is in some ways what we're doing when we sit together in Zazen. It's the embodiment of our deepest aspiration. The one the Buddha suggested when he taught about Apamada. When people asked him, what, how should we practice? What's the essence, the core essential piece of the practice. And he said, practice with apamata, with diligent, mindful care. That, that was the elephant's footprint. All the other footprints can fit inside of it. That's the biggest teaching. Meeting and softening 
obstructions to kindness, care, and loving presence. This is the embodiment of that aspiration. Because we learn as the, the man knew and his wife knew that the es essence of vitality, of aliveness in any system, psychological, our inner psyche, um, our, our spiritual communities, uh, in a medical setting, the essence of vitality in any system is some aspect of meeting in love. And loving presence will naturally unfold given the right conditions. And in some ways, what our practices are designed for is to help us embody and practice over and over and find that those conditions open and are set in place through Apamada, through the practice of diligent, mindful care. And there are, there are ways to, to think about this in terms of all of the Buddhist teachings, but um, uh, for example, uh, we don't need to go into it for long today, but if we sit with right intention, the essence of the beginning of the Eightfold Path, we realize our sitting in Zazen is not just casual. But the, the woman, um, the Indian woman came in and she didn't just hang out. She was sitting with some intention. And if you think about the Buddhist teachings on the Paramitas, or the practices of a Bodhisattva, the first one is generosity, Dana Paramita. She sat with a generous offering of her fleshy body, her time, her intention. It was a generous offering. So that's one intention that she set. It was also, the second paramita, it was, it was uh, respectful. It was a little pushy in the beginning, it seemed, but, but she was respecting the um, difficulty that Marianne was having. And it was ethical. She wasn't harsh. She was just close. Trying to be both respectful, but, but deeply present. There was an energy there, vitality, which is the next paramita, soft but powerful energy, as Marianne described it. And sitting there day after day, it was the practice of patience, the next paramita, patiently being with what was needed. Was it meditative? I would imagine it would, to just sit and breathe and be still and be present with someone. And was it wise? Was it prajna paramita? Absolutely the wisdom of the body, the wisdom of the heart, to be together. All of the paramitas were expressed in this clear intention and sitting with, just like you would sit next to someone on a cushion or a chair in a circle or in a meditation hall. Sit there with, some, with generosity to the space, respectfully, with a soft but powerful energy, with patience as you engage meditation the expression of wisdom. And there's a deep willingness, not just an intention, but a willingness to be met and to meet, being with, to see and to be seen, to be met and to meet the other. And the four Brahma-viharas, the four immeasurables of awakening, unfold. This is the release of the obstructions. What do you meet over time? Loving kindness. Marianne began to realize the woman was offering unconditional friendliness, loving kindness. Secondly, compassion. She could see that Marianne was suffering, and so she simply met it. She didn't turn away. She didn't try to fix anything, just powerfully present. As Marianne felt better, she and her husband both were joyful about it. Sympathetic joy, joy in the release of suffering of the other, joy in the other. And they just simply stayed, equanimity, the fourth one, a balanced. So I'm, I'm doing this with intention and willingness with the paramitas and the brahma-viharas, not to complicate matters, but just to say that it, loving presence unfolds through every act and every teaching and every practice. I'll end with just 
a few words from uh, Mary Oliver since I've been calling on her recently. And I'm not going to read the entire poem, but you'll almost all recognize these words as a, a, a nugget that symbolizes what we've just um, reflected on, what I've been speaking about. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be good. You don't have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. So I hope that um, this reflection back through the pieces about kindness and care, apamada and presence uh, continues to weave a fabric which is um, it's, uh, maybe a little inspiring and certainly encouraging for your, our continued practice. Um, and I appreciate um, the story from its source and uh, and the woman who told it. So please raise your hand if you'd like, if you have something you'd like to share or ask in the service of our, our shared being with each other, the kind of loving presence that unfolds as we, as we meet in love, the vitality of this system of inquiry is this aspect of meeting in love. Looks like Sheila has her hand up, who I haven't seen in a very long time. There you go. Uh, she's not quite in a mood. There you go. Here I am. Hi, Flint. Hi, Hi everyone. It's time to see you. It's great to see you. And I love your shirt, by the way. Oh, thank you. Like my dragons. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Beauty and the Beast. Which is which here? <laughs> oh, your beauty. Oh. No doubt. <laughs> Hi, Flint. Um, I have a question for you, and I think you answered it as always. Your wisdom, you know, helps every time that I hear it. And unfortunately, I work on Tuesdays, so many times I can't join you. But um, I was wondering, you know, the world is starting to open up, and I find myself not wanting to join it. Mm -hmm. It's It's been such a gosh you know the time both healing and traumatizing in ways friendships and the way we work and everything but I just find the more it gets closer to opening the less and less I'm excited about it mm -hmm. and I don't and with my husband for example He's, you know, it's almost like we have nothing left to talk about because he's joining it. He wants to talk about politics. He wants to talk about his work. He wants to talk about all those things. And I, you know, I just, I want to escape and turn away. And I wondered if you had any advice for that. You want to escape and turn away from him or you have a reluctance to, this is not the right word, but go back to the busy world. Yeah. It's not him. It's not him. I and I recognize that he's ready to return to the world. And since he's my partner and with me, you know, most of the time, that's you know, he makes it harder for me not to return to the world because he wants to. Yeah. Well, the one small thing we don't have to get into, but that I know because I know, you know, he's always been a busy, engaged, entrepreneurial kind of guy, and you've mm -hmm. been a reflective, you know, therapist as in mother. It's a different. That, that difference will always be there and you'll be navigating that in your loving family. Right. But what I hear is that um, you have, um, I've, I hear this from so many people that despite the horrors and the difficulty of the pandemic, they have appreciated the way the world has sort of stopped or slowed down massively. Mm -hmm. And so I hear that you don't want to lose all of that. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. And that's some of what our practice offers us. Given that things will begin to chug along a little more. I think, I think the world will change somewhat 
I mean, as a result of this, but mm -hmm. if I was just talking about kindness, care, and, and presence. So, so your job and your homework, which you always like homework. I do. <laughs> how are you going to be kind to yourself and to those around you as the world begins to re-engage? How are you going to care for yourself? given that the world is going to re-engage, but how are, what have you learned and how are you going to care for yourself? And when, what ways will you offer presence and receive presence in ways that support the kindness and care? So if you just use the three words, that's all you need. Um, and a sitting practice, even if it's five minutes, like we do here, not very long, helps us return to that silence and simplicity and even a little bit of solitude it doesn't mean we're exiled but uh, which will help you remember otherwise you just get externally focused all the time so yeah. you need to practice and then use those three and maybe do a little writing and do a little reflecting on how do you want to be kind to yourself and others in what way you're going to care for yourself and others in what way do you want to be present those three words and then do some sitting, and that will give you a practice to help you remember. Thank you so much. And one thing I want you to know is you're not alone. There are so many people who, as they look at the awful things that have happened, secretly say, yeah, but. Right. Because things slow down to a human pace, and we start to remember something. But that's what practice is always about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Slowing us down, get centered so we can actually turn towards life as it is, not the swirl we're caught in, which is the virtual reality of what we think is life. What we get on computers and televisions that tell us that that's what life is. So your question is really at the center of a lot, I think, for a lot of people. Thank you, Flint. That was really helpful. What is it? What does it say behind you? It's this gather. Right. I'm in I'm in Wimberley, Texas. We own a house with some other couples and we had to put that up. That's right. And isn't that what we're talking about today? Mm -hmm. How when we gather and as we gather in larger groups now, how are we going to be kind? Self and other. How are we going to care for each other? Yeah. What sort of loving presence will we bring to the situation? So you have a reminder every time you see that now. I will. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Sheila. There you are. Yes, I am. Um, I just wanted to share part of this, I would call them aha moments, but mm -hmm. this journey that I'm just now discovering um, mm. as a result of all of our moments together. I'm going to choke up. Um, Wasn't it wonderful that we got to meet in Molokai? Oh, oh, what happened to me the very first day that we meditated um, was, a, was a very deep, heartfelt, you know, opening and awesome and incredible feeling. And what you described today with the sitting with intention, the generosity, the respect, I have always, and a few weeks ago, you talked about compassion being a boundless energy, a boundless freedom. Mm -hmm. um, the generosity does not need to, or gratitude does not need to be a verb. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a part of our breathing. And I'm, I'm sitting here just realizing that these four conditions or, or parameters that you attach to meditation I have always thought of those words as verbs and there's always been a mental attachment to them. And what I felt that moment, that very first time I meditated with you were those words from the heart. Uh, as an, an embodied reality. An embodied reality, yes. And I'm just, there. there's like this whole, it, I, I almost want to say, metamorphosis or chemical change that's going on from head to toe for me where it's a new discovery of 
these not being words or actions, but being intentions and part of the heart and this, this opening up. It's actually part of your cells. Yeah. Yes. It's the essence of the life force. Yeah. And, and you, I don't know if you noticed this because it was a subtle thing when I talked about uh, obstructions to these natural things. <clears throat> I didn't say that they were um, worked through. I said we would step beyond them. Yeah. They were let go of. Because the, the old imagery in early Buddhist teachings is like you're walking along with your little lantern. You can imagine this in Molokai because you would walk along your path at night, you know, and you have your flashlight or your phone. And you're kind of looking for, uh, in Molokai, not snakes, you'd look for like a, a toad or a centipede. You know, you don't want to step on a centipede. And suddenly you see one, and you go, oh, and you get really scared and you come up and you realize, oh, it was just a bean pod or a stick. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened to the centipede? You know, it was an illusion. Right. But the light of your practice, you began to see, oh, it actually wasn't a problem from the beginning. But you thought it was. And that's what happens as you awaken the way you're talking about. What used to be an obstruction, what used to be a habit pattern, what used to be something that was terrifying or obstruction, suddenly yeah. realize is, oh, that wasn't what I thought it was. It starts to disappear. Yeah. You, you don't have to like some of it. You don't have to work on it so much. It falls away. Yeah. And Joko Beck used to say, you practice steadily and it's changing you at a cellular level. Yeah. And you're realizing this from the inside out, which is better <laughs> than mm -hmm. someone telling you. Mm -hmm. But you can be encouraged and, and pointed in a certain direction. You know? yeah. And that's how we help each other. That's why we show up together, I hope. Yes. Uh, just, I just, let me get so full of gratitude in this moment. And so full of gratitude. in turn, because now what's opening between us at this moment and others is, is that kind of loving presence. Yeah. The embodied enactment of our, of our vow. Yeah. It's not something strange, special, religious, or spiritual. It's this. Yeah. And the the story that you told also was was so incredibly heartwarming and touching and and just so real. Mm -hmm. I started to think how often in my life was that moment there and present, and I couldn't I wasn't awake enough mm -hmm. to feel it and be a part of it. And that encourages us to see, like this Indian couple saw, oh, there's someone. It's interesting. It said, we, we, we knew you were dying. So yeah, we yeah, saw yeah. that you're in trouble. And so we just sat with you. That's the essence of compassion. Yeah. And then the willingness to offer oneself. And how often is that? See, here's the secret. This is happening all the time or you wouldn't be alive. True. Aha. Uh -huh. All the people that are providing your food and your care and everything else that we, let alone the earth, mm -hmm. that was a human interaction. So it touches us deeply because we're mammals who respond to that kind of thing. Yes. But actually, yeah. vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of it. It's, it's around us all the time. Yeah. And realizing that and embodying it, we realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. That's what we chant. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bess. And thanks for sharing your story, too. That's helpful to everybody. It's real. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. How are you? You're... I'm doing well. How about you? Um, okay, yeah. Just thinking on what you were saying about um, offering yourself. And I don't really feel like I've got much to, to offer, really, because I'm not not very good at um, communication and um, <laughs> I find social situations quite challenging um, and it makes it I don't know what what I can do for the world really how I can be of a service to others um, well I can I can tell you what I've noticed 
is that you are very, whatever tangles you might get yourself in or whatever stumblings you might find yourself making, you are very um, dedicated. You have a very strong intention. You come back and come back and come back and come back. And that kind of dedication and intention is exactly what we ask people um, as the foundation of their practice. Just come back and sit. Just come back and sit. Just come back and sit. And there are times in which you feel better and sometimes you don't feel as good. But when you feel you're, you're very willing to offer yourself. And even if the offering becomes something that eh, it's not right for you at the time, you don't go away. You stay. That willingness that to just keep going is one of the strongest things in practice, Richie. And, and you're actually offering something because you can see on the screen when all these people show up, even the ones that aren't speaking or, you know, doing anything particular, they're showing up makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. You're offering that back. That's part of the loving presence. It doesn't have to be quite active in speaking or doing something first, just practice the willingness to show up and you're doing that. And please know that that is welcome and appreciated. Okay. Yeah. yeah thanks. Thank Good. you. Mm -hmm. All the way from the edge of Scotland. I mean, that's a long way, you know. Rosemary. Rosemary, yeah. Okay. Hi, Flint. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, I was really um, impressed with this story on a lot of levels. One, um, the insistence of the big brown woman to, um, I had to think that um, she realized that she would not be welcome, um, not at first, the different cultures, etc. Um, well, maybe she didn't, but, um, and there one of the things. Difference that yeah, 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 that's what I, I was thinking. Um, and so the insistence on her part and then the eventual giving in on um, Marianne's part. And um, sometimes I struggle with, um, you know, a friend, for example, who's very, very unhappy and also very um, stubborn in terms of accepting help mm -hmm. and, um, you know, wondering how far to you know, continue to, to be there or, um, I, and I, I had seen something in, in the news about a, a doctor who was giving the vaccine and in the hospital to the healthcare workers. And there was a healthcare worker who was no, 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 I don't want it. This doctor called her every day and with, with different research, with different data, and eventually, you know, the the, uh, the healthcare worker did accept it, and I was watching that, and you know, I just think it's a really fine line. How far do you insist? Just there's that respectful piece in there. Exactly. That, that has exactly. to be the. If you if you take away the cultural things for a moment, and you do factor in. Um, adult respect for people's boundaries and when they say no to respect their no, all of that. Um, and just take it to a more essential level. Think of two ages because you're steeped in human development. Think two ages. You know, when you have like a two year old that's really mad and they're saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And they try, you know, and you just hold them closer and closer and closer and hold them while they hate you. And then what do they end up doing? Crying. They end up finally collapsing because they they need the help. They want the comfort. They don't want to need it. They don't want to want it. But finally, they give into it. And so that is in us somewhere. The other one, teenager. You're not the boss. Tell me what to do, you know. And you offer and offer and offer and they roll their eyes and never listen and it's going in. They will just never give you the satisfaction of knowing that it's going in. 
but you have to offer it because that's your job as a mom or a dad, you know. And so there's these pieces of us too, you know, that are both, that are ambivalent about we want it, but we have a hard time. And so we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention about how far to go and how far not to go. That's part of why we're cultivating attention and care and sensitivity. So we do our best and make our mistakes and then even more attention. It's like, oh, that was off. So same thing that Richie was talking about. How do I manage when it, I, you know, we just keep developing our attention and meditation and our practices together like this help. Thank you. Thank you. David? Hi. Hi there. I um been away for a while. Yeah. As I, as I moved to Pittsburgh, my hometown. And uh, just now recently in the last month have come back to inquiry and I I'm just very grateful to be here again. Hey, you have to drive all the way to Austin to be in the room. <laughs> it's it just um, it's very good to be in the presence of a worldwide sangha, and as we struggle with this um, pandemic, and we've been medicine. Yes, the isolation has been a, um, well, there's been a lot of time sitting. <laughs> um, and so I just wanted to say thank you for continuing to be here as our teacher and guide as we as we walk through life and I um, just working to manage the struggles of daily life here. Um, and as you're offering that appreciation and gratitude to me, I know that it moves through me to everybody else because without everybody else, this, this wouldn't be happening. So I, I'm receiving your kindness, your care, your loving presence. Um, and I'm a kind of a placeholder here, but all of these people are part of that larger, um, that big footprint you know, of Apamata, of care, which I'm well, glad you can now step back into. You, you and the Sangha have always been in my heart, but as I was away, I felt terribly alone for a long time. And yeah. you know, suddenly Jessica's email showed up in my box one day recently. And, and so here I am again. So I'm just glad to be back and um, feeling, not just feeling the love and the support and kindness of everyone, but being able to give that same to those around me, mm -hmm. um, many of whom, all of whom are going through life. And the flow through and for and with all of us and priming that pump and letting it begin to flow is so life-giving when you've been um, contracted for a while during this. So I'm so glad to see you and glad you're back. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. Chris. We're connecting just over the hill here. It's great to uh, join you, Flint. Good to see you again. 
Yeah. Both of us on Molokai. <laughs> well, actually, I'm back in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Oh, are you in Boulder now? Okay. Yeah, I came back, and uh, your story you shared was such a poignant, moving piece. Um, you know, I uh, that woman scooting closer and touching um, my daughter, she's now 28, has uh, cognitive disabilities, and she does that same thing often on a couch with me. And I hadn't put myself in the perspective of just receiving her loving presence as being part of that gift she's giving. Um, and that's and, her uh, way. Yeah, I think it is. And we had a beautiful connection just a few days ago. Um, she's, we actually know a uh, woman, Terry, who had cognitive disabilities that was killed in the shooting here in Boulder. And um, she, you know, kind of communicated through her just joy and happiness, but she was a bagger, um, kind of an inspiration to a lot of those who had, say, yeah. disabilities going through the school system and such. And uh, I remember seeing her picture. Yeah. Very sad. Um, so it's, uh, it's it, just feel the heart presence and everyone here just sitting in silence together. Um, and wanted to thank you particularly for that story and how uh, we often don't understand what's being communicated or gifted to us. Um, I remember um, one of my other teachers at a very powerful koan they always used was, um, am I avoiding relationship? Am I, you know, centering upon myself and my experience and trying to, you know, keep some away like when I'm writing. And right. uh, it was a powerful reminder of that. And then the blessing that was on the other side when the, that kind of koan opens up into the, the reality of what's actually present. Uh, yeah, so, thank, so thank you, that, very beautiful. I was um, gifted that story just yesterday. Wow. Someone uh, in one of my practice discussion groups brought it as a prompt for us to discuss. And I thought, oh, it's so beautiful. I hope. It's okay to use, you know. So I, I've looked up some of these things, and it's just uh, it it startled me. It was so beautiful. Mm. It really fit exactly what I wanted to talk about too. So thanks, Chris. Yeah, you sh yeah thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you again else? sometime. Pardon. Were you going to say something else or ask something? Um, no, just would I love the uh, being able to sit with everyone here virtually, and I look for maybe the next time we could do it yeah. in person. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. We got to meet in person, actually, recently. Chris is on Molokai, so part of the time. I saw something in the chat from... Um, Wayne Carpenter in Fort Collins, you know, close, just up the road, and feeling the, the hurt from those uh, dealing with the losses in Boulder. So I just wanted to echo that, because it's very important. Darcy? There we go. There we go. I I wanted to offer um, that story was so moving for me, and uh, uh, I had a sense of um, it was just so touching her uh, willingness and vulnerability really in coming close to this person she didn't know. Um, and I, I guess I just want to say that, and it's, it's really a uh, risking kind of situation, it feels like to me. I kind of am used to this respectful distance you're supposed to keep with people, and it's a little difficult to know how how to connect, but be respectful, but give the person the opportunity to really soak in your presence. Mm 
you know, as a gift. Well, I'm so. not dealing with that because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic. Yeah. In a very particular way. I think mm -hmm. that um, it was spoken a little earlier. There's something cultural about this particular story. Mm -hmm. the, the man and the woman would, in, in India, given what one sees all the time, if you see someone who's really ill, that would be a natural thing to do. It wouldn't be so outrageous. In the United States, it'd be like, wow. That, and so it really touches us. Mm -hmm. But what is it that we can give? What is appropriate? Um, that's, I remember one of the aspects of, of the awakened mind. What's the appropriate response? Mm -hmm. and we pay attention and we're intimate with all things so you're you're putting your finger right on the essence of our practice mm -hmm. yeah it was a, such a lovely story and i'm thinking i'm glad you said that about cultural again because it might not be like putting your body right next to someone but there may be other appropriate responses that feel a little risky but are worth considering in order to offer ourselves to others, especially during this time of That's, this pandemic. Yeah, what's the expression of uh, loving kindness that would be appropriate in this situation? Yeah. And remember that yeah. uh, Patty Dig, her, the, the, the book it came from is called Life is a Verb. So if you want to take a look okay. at it, that, that book. Yeah, thank you. I see that it's time for our um, uh, completion. So we'll, we'll recite the four practice principles together. And please enjoy the saying them out loud, even though you're, you're muted. But you and I will say it together with all of you. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you for your presence, for everyone. Maria. Thank you, Flint. Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There is a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you.